0: Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the Cyber Theory podcast, where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the managing director at Cyber Theory, and today's episode is going to focus on some of the t- challenges in today's cybersecurity marketing. Joining me today is uh, Ravi Patil, the founder of Institute a documentary-style podcast that explores true stories about MIT and the world around us. He's also director of product management and strategy for Broadcom Software's mainframe security portfolio. Prior to that, he served as the head of product marketing. Ravi's background also includes 20 years in security and technology marketing and product management. In addition to Broadcom, he's held marketing leadership roles at CA Technologies and IBM, and as you may have guessed, Ravi earned his BS and MS Engineering degrees from MIT. So welcome, Ravi. I'm glad you could join me today.
1: Thanks for having me on the show. I must say, you've turned the tables on me. I normally do the interviewing on my podcast, so I guess I'm in the hot seat now.
0: All right. (laughs) That was intentional. (laughs) So, So we spend a lot of calories trying to get our clients to see the immense value in storytelling I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, but what is your view of effective messaging in this crowded market?
1: So before gathering your dry erase markers and post-it notes and getting ready for battle at a day-long messaging workshop, a critical prerequisite is defining and understanding your target audience. So let me take you through a, a sort of a fun example. Suppose you're targeting famous and wealthy divorced males in their 70s from the UK, might be marketing a luxury good or a high-end vacation. So it turns out that Prince Charles fits that demographic. But if you were to analyze this a bit more, you might find another interesting character who fits that exact same description. And that's Ozzy Osbourne. He was born in 1948, just like Prince Charles, raised in the UK, married twice, obviously wealthy and famous. So who are you marketing to? Is it the Prince of Wales or the Prince of Darkness? They have completely different needs. So the lesson here is that when you define your target persona, you need to go beyond the demographics and get to the needs and challenges. And once you have that, then you're finally ready to work on the messaging. And what I've observed in my career is that in the enterprise space, messaging from all the top players eventually sounds exactly the same but you can escape that trap through storytelling because security professionals are humans too and no matter how busy they are they enjoy being surprised delighted or inspired just like everyone else but mm-hmm. when it comes to security marketing i've seen uh, one issue shall we say and that it is typically fear based you'll hear things such as did you know that the average cost of a breach is x million or The average amount of time a hacker goes unnoticed in your network is Y months. CISOs have become numb to these stats. They keenly know the risks. So I find it more effective to focus on the solution and instilling hope and confidence. Yes, we can do this. Here's how.
0: Why do you think it is that so many cybersecurity vendors insist upon continuing along that that same line of, of monologue then? You know, the... Not necessarily, you know, the FUD path, but but telling Caesars what they already know. There's a certain
1: situation that arises when you're working on messaging because you're trying to weave a logical thread through a complex topic. You're trying to balance what your portfolio offers with what's happening in the market. And as you go through that process, it can be grueling getting sign off from so many stakeholders. And by the time you emerge from that process, admittedly, you can be a little bit far away from what you were there to do in the first place, just out of exhaustion from the process. And what comes out of it is sort of the the same stats and the same type of messaging. So now, admittedly, if you're talking about website copy or bullets for a, a booth at an event, Um, you're going to want to get to the point. But when it comes to the other assets that you're developing, you have more flexibility to get into the story. And I find that's really where where the action is. It's the human element that will allow you to bridge the gap to what the CISO is thinking.
0: Yeah, you characterize the CISO as a human being, even. That's uh, remarkable all by itself. Most vendors never connect the dots between the the what it is that they do and the why that they do it. Yet I think the numbers like 67, 68% of today's buyers are millennials. And they frequently make decisions based upon a company's values, not, not upon feeds and speeds and features and functions. Why is there such resistance, do you think, on behalf of the vendors to actually reach the, you know, direct to human, we'll call it buy signals that are going to resonate with these people who are making these uh, million-dollar decisions?
1: Oh, that's a fascinating question. I, I think it varies by industry. But in general, I'd say that I think the resistance comes from comes from simply not taking the time to connect those dots rather than business leaders rejecting attempts to connect those dots. So uh, let me give you an example. It's easier in some industries than others You may have a company like Patagonia, for example, that makes clothing and gear for outdoor adventures. I heard recently that their entire supply chain will be carbon neutral by 2025. And that environmental commitment is directly aligned with the values of their customers. So that's a win. For those of us in IT whose product is generally software, which is shipped as bits through an Ethernet cable, there can be a degree of separation between what we offer And the big topics that are on the minds of millennials. But there are ways to break through and do this in a genuine way. So when you think about the millennial, they want to be developed and nurtured and treated with care like an individual, The, the good old marketing to a segment of one concept. And here at Broadcom, we have a wonderful proof point around this. It's called our Vitality Program. And I'm really proud of the investments that we've been making in the next generation of mainframe talent. Basically, the way it works is we recruit candidates and rigorously train them on the fundamentals of the mainframe and then deploy them on customer site for four to six months. And what's interesting about this is that during those four to six months, their salary, their benefits are fully paid for by Broadcom. And we even house them free of charge in corporate apartments near the customer site. And during that residency program, they're doing the customer work, not Broadcom's work. And at the end of the residency, the customer can then hire that employee full-time in their organization, or for some reason, if they choose not to, we bring them back onsite at Broadcom. And so this is a, a great way in terms of the millennial audience showing that we care, that we're investing, and we're looking out for their future, not just you know trying to make the next dollar of profit.
0: Yeah, so. no kidding. The, yeah, the, I mean that's a great message. The customer um, benefits tremendously from that, and I, particularly in this era when we have a this huge gap and a probably magnified gap in mainframe computing, because no one, very few folks are uh, skilled in that regard. So that's terrific that you guys do that, and it makes a great story. I'm surprised I never see you leading with it, but that might be my own my own inability to see the forest for the trees here.
1: I'll um, share some blogs with you afterwards, really heartfelt, essentially letters from these young employees talking about how wonderful they felt that a company was thinking about them in this way and willing to invest in them. And, and of course, when you see what they do uh, during COVID, you know we've had 60 folks go through this program and they're at major companies, just some wonderful stories in there. So happy to share with you.
0: Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, it's no surprise that I'm willing to pay 265 bucks for a for a outdoor parka from Patagonia than over 150 bucks from North Face because I believe in because I want to become part of the Patagonia uh journey or mission or however you want to describe that. So and I think, you know, these buyers are very much attuned to the value proposition underneath the why statement for these companies and more folks ought to try to figure out what that is for them and then create stories around it. And, you know, you look at, and it's not a B2C thing, right? I mean, you know, you Microsoft, Cisco, Salesforce, a lot of technology companies have gone that route with incredible success. So in the world of IT, what is it that makes Broadcom software different?
1: Sure. I think there are two dimensions on this. I'd say first and foremost, we partner with our customers and and invest alongside them. This offers a markedly superior customer experience than a traditional vendor that might just sell the software and walk away until the contract is up. It turns out that the number one issue our customers are facing are not technology issues. There's related to skills shortages. So I described earlier the Vitality program. That was one example of investment. But we've really thought about the customer experience and deployed our investments in a variety of areas. For example, we've opened up our entire online education portfolio at no cost to customers. We realized that in the world of CISOs and C-suite executives, not many of them are trained in the mainframe, even though they have responsibility for mainframe. So, we created an on demand custom mainframe education program targeted to C suite. We even have something called the expert change planning program. So, before a software upgrade at no cost, we work with customers to establish a comprehensive plan for the upgrade. And then we'll be there on standby, for example, over the weekend as they go through those steps. So, And when you think about what customers need, it's technology for sure, but then there's everything else involved in that customer experience. And so that's where I think we're really differentiating. Now, of course, we have great technology. If you look at our security portfolio, the combination of mainframe software and Symantec allows us to essentially secure the enterprise across every platform, no matter where the data and apps live. So we're talking about endpoints. Email, cloud, distributed mainframe. So, I think that's another area where we bring really heavy-duty security expertise to the market. And and don't forget our semiconductor business. Plenty of software that's baked right in at the chip level.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, we've talked in the past about video and how effective it is, and uh, it seems to us that as the direct result of this pandemic, the popularity of longer-form video has has increased. What production elements do you think make sure that a longer form video can be effective for folks that are you know, working remotely and have some private time that they can actually take 20 or 30 minutes out to, to look at a story on video?
1: Sure, and you're absolutely right. We've also observed the same, and frankly, we were shocked by that. Um, thinking in some instances, Aspects of digital events, we see virtual fatigue, but when it comes to this longer form video, there's definitely been an appetite for that. So, you know, the art of war states that every battle is won before it is ever fought. And so I find the way to winning here in the long form content is to have, is to frame a story, but you need to plan ahead for that. You need to have a journey that leads you somewhere with rising and falling action, You might incorporate a protagonist dreaming impossible dreams or a hero confronting their demons. I know it's it's a tall order to ask, but your audience will let you know immediately if you crack that nut. For long-form video, you need to have a subject matter expert, someone with credibility that can sustain that deeper level discussion because you need to make it worth the audience's time. Now, from a production perspective, there are a number of things you can do in the edit that's often where the magic happens and we've done a a bunch of this successfully since covid began one thing would be to add interstitial content in the logical breaks in the discussion to provide interest and and motion uh, another idea is instead of having a typical zoom style talking head format vary the ca- camera a- angle so think of it like a a movie or even a documentary and in some cases in our long form content we've even added Brief blooper reels for our pre-recorded keynotes, and that's been a fun way to engage with customers. Because when a pre-recorded keynote is played at an event, you know where they are in, in the chat session, getting feedback. And so, uh, when that blooper reel comes up, it's surprising uh, what kind of feedback and follow-on you get from that. So, you know, providing moments of levity in serious topics as well.
0: Yeah, sure. And I mean, like any movie, which is what it should be is, you know, there's a, you know, there's a plot, there's a beginning, middle end, there's friction, there's mystery, there's heroes and anti-heroes and protagonists and so forth. And, and uh, unless you create a narrative that um, it's from our point of view, anyway, create a narrative that's both cinematic and entertaining in nature, that it's very difficult to get audience, uh, audience engagement, regardless of whether it's a five-minute video or a 30-minute video. But if you do the inverse of that, and as you say, build a story that you know grabs people the same way that uh, whatever their favorite binge series is on Netflix, you're going to have the same effect because, as you point out, you know CISOs and your target audience are indeed human beings. The final questions I have for you, uh, Ravi, are related to your own podcast and MIT, maybe, and, and in part one, I'd like to understand, and our listeners, I think, would like to understand how you put that together, what it is that's compelling about it, and what your, what your goals were. Sure. The purpose
1: of this podcast is to provoke inquiry by examining the human experience, all wrapped in an engaging story. What I found in technology and in so many topics, there's so much focus on the tech itself, but really what is important if we're going to solve the problems facing humanity is dealing with the human challenges. So as I cover topics like climate change, artificial intelligence, security, the focus is on the human element. And I'm in fact working on an episode right now related to privacy and security. It's about an MIT student who won the College Jeopardy championship a few years ago, only to realize to her horror that her well being was in jeopardy. And that's because on the game show, Jeopardy on national TV reveals your name, where you grew up, your year in school. There's a lot of personal info getting divulged, exactly the info needed to dock someone. And when yeah. you combine that with social media, you have a deadly mix. So this episode explains one woman's attempt to confront the dark side of the internet and how she is handling. Internet fame,
0: yeah, and you can hardly take a step anymore without uh, without those kinds of ramifications, either on social media or elsewhere. The second part of that question would be, you know, uh, you're an MIT grad. Can why can you explain? You're a smart guy. Can you explain why cybersecurity marketers keep reverting to legacy lead gen and promotional campaigns that haven't performed well, even in the past? And why there's a huge reluctance to step outside the box, I know that you undoubtedly run into the same sort of resistance at Broadcom in your current role.
1: Ooh, that's a juicy question. So Yeah,
0: I, I figured as much, but why don't you give it your best shot?
1: Yes, I certainly will. So for me, it all begins with having critical insights from your lead gen campaigns, because if you don't, human nature is going to drive to the path of least resistance. You know, as a marketer, you know the process, the agencies you're working with. You've already cranked out content for the buyer's journey that you know you can tweak slightly. Your metrics dashboard is showing the open rates and conversions. It's already set up. And all of this is begging you to repeat exactly what you've done before. And don't forget that folks in marketing are optimists. There's the hope that the next time around, you'll have a better set of contacts or that something will go viral, you know, which never happens, by the way. And um, if you, look, you know, and if you look at what marketing teams are faced with, they're already overloaded, and they feel the pressure to move on to the next tactic. So, my challenge to myself as well as those listening is: how often do you actually do a postmortem with real humans after you execute a campaign? Not just looking at the stats from your marketing automation tool, but actually speaking to customers about what they've experienced. So stepping outside that box that you mentioned requires understanding the customer relationship and utilizing the connections you already have. Because unless you are a startup looking for your first customers, you already have customers you can speak with to get that feedback. So you know, in general, whether it's lead gen campaigns or storytelling, long-form content, or even connecting with millennials, it all boils down to that human element. So don't forget that. Amidst all your your databases and tech that you're dealing with,
0: yeah. Another, I guess, another part of that question, as long as I have you, and we've got a couple of minutes left here, is the metrics themselves. It seems to me and others that I know in the space that we're very heavily weighed or tilted toward the, you know, the click through rates and the dwell time on pages and the. You know, organic impressions, yada yada yada, that uh, we use to try determine some sort of efficacy from our from our tactical marketing ex- exercises, and and I'm not sure that this emphasis on those metrics actually relate anywhere near to an ROI on on a marketing campaign. Do, do you have any? your own insight into into kind of where we're headed in that direction and what we might want to do differently.
1: Yes, and you're spot on with that. I I think what has happened is online commerce and SaaS has created a a market where you can take a customer through the entire chain, start to finish digitally, and it works marvelously marvelously for, for those spaces You can offer online promotions, do a variety of things, banner ads, and measure that and drive to a conclusion. Now, when we talk about complex sales that we find here in cybersecurity or or the IT industry at large, I found that everything that you're measuring from a marketing perspective is just the top of the funnel. And what you need to do is drive to a human interaction because you need to present a proof of concept or something that will allow the person to take this big, scary thought and distill it down into something that you can action. So one thing that we do here at Broadcom is we execute what we call cybersecurity thinking workshops, where we spend um, over a couple of days, a few hours each day with the customer, both of us rolling up our sleeves and talking about the customer challenges and brainstorming different pathways. So it's design thinking in the sense that we're not wedded to a certain technology that we want to sell them at the end of the day. It's really about surfacing a credible pathway to progress. And those are the most meaningful. So uh, I've changed my view on what I'm looking for from, from marketing. I'm not looking for a huge volume of folks that are ready to take the next step. It's really a smaller number of folks That want to sit down with you uh, and have a deeper discussion.
0: Yeah. And as long as we're on the direct to human subject, what do you think of what appears to be a movement in the industry toward uh, television commercials in the sort of streaming context with uh, specific geographical and and or audience uh, demographic coverage? For example, a lot of NFL uh, coverage in the Ohio Valley has featured the you know, cyber theory's uh, owl commercials, for example, and I, we see a lot of this from CrowdStrike and now from you know other leaders in their space. Um, do you think that there's a, you think that there's an acceptance finally that, you know, you may blow off 150 you know consumers who have no interest at all, but that the board member that you're actually targeting is somewhere in there and that will have a takeaway and. Or do you think the drivers behind that that sort of logic or reasoning is?
1: My mind is really scrambled on that question. I recently listened to a fantastic episode of Freakonomics. It's a podcast where they analyze the efficacy of online advertising and TV advertising. And essentially, the net from all of that was it wasn't conclusive at all whether TV advertising was meaningful or not. Yet, you know, on the other side of the coin, you'll be watching the Super Bowl or, or your favorite TV show, and, and you'll find something that'll make you laugh or smile that you know, makes you think of a brand in a different way. So I, I personally really, uh, when it comes to the type of tech marketing I've worked with, haven't ventured into TV ads so far. But I think the jury is out on that still.
0: Maybe some of those in your future. Yes. <laughs> All right. Great, Ravi. Thank you again. uh, We could probably talk undoubtedly for hours on the subject. subject, And if you're up for it, I'd love to have you back in kind of the first quarter sometime and talk some more. We'll learn a lot more over what's going to happen in the next few months here in in the world of cybersecurity. So I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join me in what I think was a thought-provoking or hope was a thought-provoking exchange.
1: Yeah. Thanks again to you, Steve. Uh, Meaningful discussion is one that stays with you. And you've challenged me a bit with your question about millennials. So I'm going to go back and think about how I can connect those dots more.
0: Sounds good to me. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Thank you to our listeners also for joining us in another one of our unplugged reviews of the complex and freaky world of cybersecurity, technology, and our new digital reality. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.